righty, good evening. I see, you know, there's a lot of new faces out here, some visitors, some folks I didn't expect to see, and you know, I feel like I should introduce myself, that my, my name is Robin, and I am not the pastor here uh, at the Neighborhood Church, but I do have the privilege tonight of bringing his word. Um, we have started the, our Lenten journey, and I feel very humbled and very grateful Uh, that I'm able to stand up here tonight and just share what God has put on my heart, share a little of this journey of the cross that we started last week uh, as we really think about what it means for this Easter season. And I'm so thankful to Adam for the way that he introduced so powerfully and beautifully um, the importance of the journey of the cross, both scripture and for him personally. You know, for me growing up, I didn't appreciate this whole Good Friday, even Lent stuff. I mean, I didn't even think about it because Easter was all about the resurrection, right? It was all the good stuff. It was Easter bonnets, which I did not wear. (laughs) Easter dresses, which I did not wear. But it was all about the new clothes, and it was about the Easter bunny, and it was about egg hunts, and we just celebrated that Jesus was no longer on the cross, and that is all good stuff. It is good to celebrate that because y'all can give an amen or a hand clap because that is something worth celebrating, right? But what I don't remember, I don't remember the conversations about what happened before the resurrection. I don't remember thinking about how Jesus ended up on the cross in the first place. You know, and truthfully... Truthfully, if there had been those conversations back then, there's no way that my little mind would have been able to wrap itself around what all of that really meant. But that changed. This one Easter, all right? This one Easter that Kathy and Sid and I decided, we're going to do something different. I think they had been to a monastery, and they had kind of experienced something different. So really early, like really early, before the sun was up, on Easter morning, we decided we were going to go to a cemetery. And I'm not a morning person at all. So this was a big sacrifice for me. But I am so glad that we did this. We went out to the cemetery, and our thoughts were, let's start our Easter in the same place that the first Easter began. So as we kind of slowly watched, really slowly watched the sunrise, man, I started thinking about those women, started thinking about that first Easter and how they were still grieving. They were still trying to process what had happened on Friday. And they were headed to the tomb, ready to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Man, I thought how they must have felt. I mean, they were arriving there expecting to find one thing, and then they find an empty tomb. They didn't find Jesus at all. And that's when I realized, I want to know more. I want to know more about this journey ahead of time. I wanted to understand the story of what had placed Jesus on the cross and eventually into that tomb. And then last year, last year we started looking at the stations of the cross and we put together this interactive journey and and I got so much more, it began to grow even more in me, and that we were putting ourselves into this story. And this week, 
This week I started preparing the sermon and I started to embrace this story of Jesus, of my place in the story in a whole new way, in a whole new level. So last week we started this journey with Jesus, this journey to the cross, and we started it with him being in front of Pilate and being condemned, condemned and sentenced to death. All right, so when we look at our scripture, it's going to seem a little deja vu-ish, all right? Because I'm going to go back and we're going to look at the same scripture. But we're going to look at it tonight from a little bit different perspective, so don't worry, Adam. I'm not just going to repeat what you said. Okay. <laughs> but I do think it is a powerful thing when we read scripture together. So if you will indulge me, uh, I'm going to read again. I'm going to read Luke 23, 1, uh, 13 through 25. Um, this is the word of the Lord. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Now, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished, and then I will release him. But the loud shouts... They insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, and the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Now last week when we found ourselves here, we really focused our attention on Jesus. Try as I might... And as much as I thought my sermon was going to go in a a different way, God kept bringing me back to this scripture and for us to look at another guy who shows up here as well. So here's the scene, right? Let's place the scene. Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate is doing his best to placate this crowd, right? He's offering up this criminal, not just a criminal, a violent criminal. I mean, he's offering them... This bad dude, whose name was Barabbas. Now, Pilate had a plan here, right? He's thinking, let's just test the waters here. They're shouting, crucify him, but he did nothing wrong. This Jesus did nothing wrong. Let's test the waters, and I'm going to offer up the worst of the worst in exchange for this innocent Jesus. He wanted to see how badly the crowd wanted to crucify Jesus. And we're going to rewind just a little bit, just a few hours before this took place. Had we been looking for Barabbas then, we would have found him in this dark and probably really smelly prison cell. We would have found him waiting for the guards to come take him to his execution. You know, before this point, they had already measured him for his cross. His cross was ready for him. He was just waiting for the hour to come. Now, we don't know very much about this guy. Scripture has about this much 
information, and pretty much I read it there, of what we know about Barabbas. But he does show up. He's important enough that he shows up in all four Gospels. They all felt a need to make sure that we knew that Barabbas was here and they had a part in this huge moment in time. And this is what they actually, here, I'm going to tell you everything they know about him. In Luke, which we just read, we know that Barabbas was in prison for murder and insurrection. Matthew says he was a notorious prisoner, and John called him a bandit. Don't you like that? Barabbas was a bandit, which in that time it also meant that he was a violent revolutionary. That's it. Now you know as much as I know, as much as scholars know about Barabbas. But what they do assume, because of these things, insurrection and the way that he has been described, they assumed that, by scholars, not by myself, uh, they assume that he most likely read, led a violent rebellion against the Roman state. And during this rebellion, and he's in there for murder, so he probably killed a Roman official, a Roman guard. He killed somebody he shouldn't have, and, uh, and it landed him in prison. So back in that prison cell, we, do, we know this. We know that finally he hears it, right? He hears the footsteps. And he knows the guards are coming to get him. And he hears the keys in the door. And he feels the guards putting the shackles on him, the heavy chains. And he's thinking, yeah, here it is. My time has come. My time to die. All right, and I pictured this kind of like Dead Man Walking. You guys seen the movie Dead Man Walking? So you know the, you know the, the scene I'm talking about where Sean Penn, he's sitting in his cell, and all he has to do is watch the clock on the wall tick away the moments of his life. And then we see the guards come to get him. They've shaved his legs, right, so that he's ready when they put the shackle on him to drive the electricity through his body. And we see the guards come put his chains on, and take him on that long walk to the execution chamber. And in the movie, we see Sean Penn's legs give out because he's so afraid. And we also know in the movie, Sean Penn is executed. But for Barabbas, with his chains securely on him, Barabbas went down that hall, and he emerged into the sunlight from that dark cell. He came into the bright courtyard, and I'm sure he wasn't surprised about this. There was an angry mob. I bet he was used to angry mobs. But this time, there were other people there. He was standing across from the governor. He was standing across from this guy he didn't know, whose name was Jesus, and instead of execution... This mob was calling for him to be released. I'm thinking he would be shaking his head. If he could have raised his hand, cleaning out his ears, am I hearing what I'm hearing? The mob was calling for his release. And there stands Pilate, the mighty governor. This is the guy who hadn't wanted to condemn Jesus. What did he say? I find no fault in this guy. But in spite of the fact that Barabbas is completely guilty in spite of the fact that he is probably not someone that you or I would want to meet on the streets late at night or in the afternoon or 
Probably not some guy we would want to meet at all on the streets. The crowd kept shouting, release Barabbas, release him. And that's what they got. People got what they wanted. Instead of, uh, instead of being taken to his execution, Barabbas found his chains removed, falling to the ground, and he was allowed to walk away. A couple of things here as we think about this. Pilate doesn't think Jesus should die, right? But Pilate also, he's not thinking a thing about justice in this situation. He's an elected official, so he's thinking the politics of this. What is this going to look like? The politics, you know, he didn't want to anger the people. These, this angry mob, the people shouting, crucify him? Oh, they're the ones who voted me in. And I didn't want to go against the Sanhedrin. And as they cleverly pointed out, he didn't want to have to answer to Caesar either as to why he let Jesus go. So out of weakness, and totally motivated by his political agenda, Pilate gave in to the people, and Barabbas walked free. The crazy thing about this, the crazy thing is that in doing this, even though the motives were totally jacked up, the motives were totally out there, by releasing Barabbas, it gets to the heart of the gospel. It's the embodiment of the story of a completely innocent man dying for someone who is completely guilty. We talk a lot in this church, we talk a lot about seeing ourselves in the story of Scripture. And this week, you know, as much as I didn't want to, I began to see how how we are like Barabbas. I mean, Barabbas was an insurrectionist, right? So were we before we were saved. I mean, each one of us had a time when we were an insurrection against God's rule. We've been zealous in our sin, and we've rebelled against the law of God. And he was a thief, too. This is a long rap sheet, right? He was a thief also, but, uh, you know, if we have ever stolen anything... I mean, even a tiny thing, doesn't matter how much it's worth, doesn't matter the value, you know, we could still be called a thief. And Barabbas was a murderer. We can, that's not us though, right? Not us at all. We can sigh on that one and well, oh wait. Unfortunately, for most of us, we can't totally get off scot-free in this either. I mean, look in Matthew 5, Jesus says that whoever is angry or says hateful things to someone, oh, is just as guilty as a murderer. Apostle John says in 1 John, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Man. Chances are, even though it may feel like a stretch, some of us, have been a murderer at heart. And it says that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. And just like Barabbas, we're well known too. We're kind of notorious for our crimes. God knows them all. God sees them all, even the things we want to hide, even the things that we think no one knows. God knows them. And on our own, 
You know, without the mercy of God, each and every one of us would be deemed criminals and prisoners because of our sin. We deserve to be in prison. We deserve to die. Each one of us are guilty and deserve punishment. But even after all of that, even after that rap sheet, I mean, that, all, that sounds bad, doesn't it? That just sounds bad. And, but even after all of that, crazy, unthinkable thing happens. Barabbas is set free. Judgment is completely passed over him and is given instead to Jesus, who instead of, I mean, think about the things Jesus could have done. He's Jesus. Legions of angels at his call. He could have done anything, but instead he took the condemnation that belonged to Barabbas, and he took his cross too. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I have a really bad memory. I mean, it is really bad. That's why I depend on my notes while I'm up here, because my memory is bad. But as bad as it is, I can remember my Barabbas moment, just like it was yesterday. And I remember uh, there were years, ten of them at least, maybe more, Years that I lived in a place where I totally excluded Jesus. I lived in this narrative where Jesus and his followers, I mean, all, all together there, Jesus and his followers, followers were nothing but these judgmental, hypocritical beings that would reject me the moment they knew who I really was, the moment they knew about my dark side if they knew about the things that brought me shame, if they knew about the things that were kept away. You know what? And I didn't want any part of that. I didn't need their judgment. I didn't want any part of their rules. I didn't need his salvation. I didn't need his love because I didn't think he even had any for me. And I certainly didn't need his people. And it's funny that it's those people, I remember when those people showed me who Jesus really was through the way that they treated me. And I came to realize if they love me and they serve a God, that God, then he must love me too. And I learned through them that he came to love me and to save me and not to judge me. And I remember the moment, and although I didn't understand it the way I do now, I didn't have any concept of what was happening, but I didn't know that all this time I thought I was living this great free life. Now, Barabbas knew he was in a prison cell. I didn't realize I was in one, too. I always thought that it was this great free life. Living the way I wanted to was total freedom. But I remember the moment. I remember the moment when my chains came off and I knew what real freedom felt like. I could not have put the word grace to it. I had no idea what grace was, all right? How old was I? 30 years old, and I had no idea what grace was. So I couldn't have called it that. I just found myself thrust into the light, expecting execution, deserving execution. But instead, 
I found myself undeservingly released, unchained, and freed by the very Jesus that I so long wanted nothing to do with. I will share a funny note on this. This is a little sidebar. The, uh, the very next day, you know, I was so excited. I was on Sunday, the very next day, I go into work, and I'm like, the very first person I found, the secretary in the office, I'm like, I got saved yesterday. And she looked up from her desk and in all sincerity asked me, from what? Oh. Okay, and my little baby Christian self, I had no idea how to answer that. But today my answer would be from everything. So as I walk through this week, I know y'all are thinking, isn't she supposed to be doing station two like Jesus Falls? Where are we getting? Are we going to get around to that? But yes. You know, I kept going back to the story of Barabbas all week. And this is not what I thought I was going to do when I first started preparing this sermon. So this is what it has to do with station two. The thing is that through this story of Barabbas, the fact that Jesus fell took on a whole bigger, I mean, I don't even have the right words. It took on a much more meaningful aspect for me because the cross that Jesus bore, that was made for Barabbas. It wasn't supposed to be his. And it was an incredibly humbling moment. Man, when the reality hit me this week, that the cross that Jesus fell under, when he stumbled, When he landed on the ground, it should have been my cross. I thought about how Jesus struggled. Man, the weight bearing down on him. He had been beaten. He was bloody. He was beaten in my place. He was exhausted. He was carrying this heavy piece of wood. Wood that was meant for me. And when I thought about how that weight just kept bearing down on him, and it became too much kind of like Sean Penn when Dead Man Walking, his legs buckled and he fell to the ground. That entire weight of the cross on top of him, my cross. And that image, the image of Jesus laying under my cross is one that will not soon leave my mind. As bad as my memory is, that's a sticker. That's going to be there. And the scene doesn't end there. Station 2 tells us that Jesus got back up. He was lying on the ground, and he got back up and continued his journey to Calvary. Now, there's nothing written in Scripture about this. Don't go to Luke. Don't go to Mark looking for where it says in Scripture, Jesus fell, or a narrative describing this. But I know, I know that through his pain and from the ground, Jesus looked up to heaven and prayed for the strength to do that. And the reason I know this is because that's totally what he did throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture. That is what he did because he knew he couldn't do it on his own. So he would have looked up to God, looked up to his Father, and he would have prayed for the strength to do what he could not do on his own. You know, the story, it made me think of my father a lot this week. When I was in about the fifth grade, my dad was in a really bad accident. He was a volunteer fireman in our little bitty town, about 
2,000-ish people, so the whole fire department was volunteer, and one night, it was about midnight, and they were called out to a fire. And it was raining like crazy that night, and when he left home, he was speeding towards the firehouse. It was dark, it was raining, there were no lights or protective arms down around the train track that separated our house from the town. And he never even saw the train that he hit. It was thanks to strangers, strangers who happened to be up late at night that came to the wreckage. They called the ambulance. They had to cut him out of the wreckage, and he spent months and months and months in the hospital. He spent months and months in a hospital bed in our living room with my mom helping to take care of him. Because of his crushed ankles, the doctor said, you will never walk again. You'll never go back to work. You'll never go back to the life you had before. But within one year, my dad was back at work, first in a wheelchair, then on a walker, and then with a cane. My dad would spend the rest of his life on pain medications and in constant pain. We were never what I would call a religious family. We didn't talk about God. I mean, we didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't talk about anything like that. But years after his accident, he told me that he knew that it was God that had spared his life that night. It was because he still had things to do. He said that he still had a family to take care of. He still had kids to provide for and that his job on earth just wasn't done. I never heard him complain. I never heard my father complain once. I never saw him give up, as he surely could have. Instead, until the day he left this earth, he thanked God for sparing him and for giving him the strength every day that he needed to get up and do what he needed to do. You know, Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. He fell under the weight of the cross That should have been mine, but in station two, it says that even though the odds were against him, he could have stayed down. Jesus got back up because he knew that his work wasn't finished yet. He had a family to take care of, and he had to see it through. And I'm being honest. I want to be honest with you about a little part of this story. I do not like that we don't know what happened to Barabbas. That kind of bugs me. I want some little closure there. You know, I want to wrap it all up. And I mean, did he turn his life around? Did he become a really great guy? And, or did he just go back to his old ways, old Barabbas, causing trouble? And I think maybe it's by design. I'm starting to think God does know what he's doing, right? Maybe it's by design that we don't get to know that. And I think maybe we're kept in the dark so we don't get caught up trying to write our narrative around Barabbas's. Maybe it's so that we have the permission to let our story be our story. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Sometimes, Sometimes I forget that Jesus freely offered to carry that cross for me. Sometimes I find that for one reason or another, 
things are going good, right? Everything is looking great, and one reason or another, I decide that I can do this. I can carry it. I got it. I got this. You take a breather, Jesus. (laughs) I can carry this thing. And the thing is, in every one of those I got this moments, okay, and you all know my mind thinks in really weird ways, but here's what my life looks like when I get caught up in these I got this moments. It starts looking like this really giant game of Jenga. You guys know the game? You guys play the game of Jenga? Right, so I start out like the Jenga tower, this independent little strong tower, and it's strong because all the pieces are in place, right? And then life kind of starts, you know, pushing those little blocks on the bottom and sliding them right out of there and putting them on top. And then more things happen, and more of those little blocks start coming off the bottom and going on the top. And what happens is eventually... There's not enough of those blocks on the bottom to support what's on the top. And I find that the balance is totally off. And I come tumbling down. You know what? I realized I don't want to live some Jenga Tower life. I want to live a new creation life. I want a life that is lived as if I believe that I have been set free. I don't want to forget that there was a cross that was meant for me. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget the image of Jesus lying under it. Cross makes all the difference. Easter Sunday is something to celebrate. The fact that the grave could not hold him, that calls for a party. And we do party it up on Easter in this church. And I love that, that we party and we celebrate that Jesus is risen. But in our haste to celebrate, I hope that we don't turn a blind eye to the suffering part of the story. I pray that we don't just ignore the sacrifice and let us remember it's because of the cross that we are free. Long time ago in 1738, Charles Wesley He wrote a song called, And Can It Be? And he did this to commemorate his own conversion. The most well-known words from his song are these, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You know, it was not the angry mob that set Barabbas free that day. And it wasn't Pilate, even though he might like to think so. It was not Pilate that set Barabbas free. Jesus did that. He freely took the cross that was meant for Barabbas and let him go. And what that means is he did the same thing for you and he did the same thing for me. So may we echo the words of Charles Wesley. My chains fell off. My heart is free. I rise, go forth, and I follow thee. We could pray. Father, there are no words to express the sacrifice that you made for us. Father, I just pray that we would be able to live as if we believe we have been set free. Lord, may we turn to you when we stumble, just as Jesus did. May we get back up when we stumble, just like Jesus did.
And Father, may we just love you with all that we have. Lord, may we serve you. Lord, that we would be your hands and feet, that we would point others to you, because that's what it's about, Father. Lord, help us to, to go through this Lenten season mindful of the journey to the cross, and help us to celebrate on Easter Sunday the risen Christ. Father, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you remain standing as we receive our benediction? May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. May you go in peace.